Hey, this is Derek Wooten. I'm lead pastor of Makers Church here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where our desire is to make disciples and make a difference. Thank you so much for joining us through our podcast. We pray this message speaks life and encouragement into you and what God is doing in your life. Hope you enjoy it. Hey man, come on, be seated. I would be amiss if I didn't take a moment and just be so grateful. Uh, pastor Brad and Emily, you guys are here this morning. Would you let how good it is to see Pastor Brad and Emily here this morning? Amen. First time you guys have been able to be back on campus since your, your, your surgery, so we're just grateful. Uh, let's keep praying for the Bastons. They're doing amazing walking through all these things, and I'm grateful they're gonna be better than ever in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, I'm excited today. We get to finish this series. We've been in all of August entitled Developed for Destiny. But before I do that, uh, before we get into that, I wanna remind you what we're focusing on the next four weeks here at Makers Church. How many of you guys remember we're in this thing called the Greater Than 20 Movement? We're, we launched this thing uh, in the middle of, towards the end of summer called the Greater Than 20 Movement. For those of you who don't know what it is, is we cast some vision and launched this initiative that we wanted to be greater than 20. What does that mean? Well, um, if, if you've ever heard of something called the 80-20 principle, it's where you see this, this, this principle that was discovered way back in the early 1900s. It's almost true of every environment or setting in our world. And it's this, is that a minority, usually 20%, is typically creating or doing the majority. A minority is typically creating or doing a majority. Now, what's interesting is, is let me give you a great example. So let's say if you own a business. Well, this principle would say that 20% of your salesmen are doing 80% of the sales. 20% doing 8%. That's very common that you find something that's similar along those lines. You say, well, pastor, that's not a big deal. No, it's not. The problem is, is that we can now look and see that that principle has found its way into the church. That's the problem. And you say, well, why is that a problem? Because the church should never be aligned or known for a worldly principle. We should never be known for operating with a worldly principle. Why? If it's not a kingdom principle, why is it present in our lives? So we have to understand something. If that's what the trend is, you say, well, what are some examples? It's one of those things to where 20% uh, of the people give 80% of the annual giving or 20% of the people do 80% of the volunteering and so many of these other statistics that we could talk about today. But the reality is, is we don't wanna be a place where we're just another statistic. The body of Christ in the church should never say we're okay with being like everything and everybody else. Jesus said we are a chosen people. That means that we're supposed to be a people within a people, which means that we don't wanna be known for a statistic. We wanna be known as the standard who is Jesus in the earth. Come on, somebody. So we're committed to saying we don't wanna be a statistic, but we wanna be the standard. We wanna be greater than 20. And you say, well, how much of us should be greater than 20? All of us, because 1 Corinthians 12 finds that we are the body of Christ. Each of us and all of us are supposed to come together and contribute and be a part of all that God is doing. And it is not a responsibility, it is a reward to say yes to doing those things. If you believe that, somebody say amen. And so last month we focused on sowing. There's four components of this movement that we're focusing on the rest of the year. We're focused on sowing and sharing and uh, serving and shining. Last month we focused on sowing, sowing our time, our talent, our treasure to, to continue to say yes to everything God is doing. This month we're gonna be focusing on sharing. Everybody say sharing. And to quote Pastor Cam who loves this phrase so much, everybody say sharing. 
is caring. There it is. Uh, but we wanna focus on sharing in this specific way. We wanna be people that are committed to sharing our faith, sharing about our church to those who don't have a church, and sharing Jesus in the world around us. Sharing our faith, sharing about our church to people that don't have a church that we could invite them to, and sharing Jesus in the world around us. Well, pastor, that seems like something that most of us do. Nope. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm about to show you through some statistics. The people of God are not doing very good at sharing anymore. It's gonna get quiet for a couple minutes. Are you ready? Can you get with me? Online, you can make some noise online. They're not making any in here. Let me show you what I mean about sharing. The people of God, for some reason, have stopped sharing. I'm gonna show you some statistics. Here's the first one. This one's bad enough, but it gets worse. 95% of believers have said they've never led one person to the Lord. 95, that's not even the 80-20 rule. 95% of believers in America said they have never led anyone to the Lord. Well, pastor, that's the evangelist job. The Bible says we're supposed to be all evangelists. We should be sharing our faith. If you believe in what God is doing in and through your life, why would you not share your faith with somebody? 95%, look at that. Now, here's, here's this next one, are you ready? 98% of Christians in our nation have said they've never extended an invitation to their church. 98%. Let me ask a question. Are you guys thankful for Maker's Church? I, listen, I love this place, and I know I'm a little bit biased, but I would come here if I didn't pastor here. I love what God is doing in this place. But think about that for a minute. 98% of Christians admitted through this huge survey that was done Huge, this huge study that they've never even extended an invitation to their church. Guys, just for a minute, go with me here. If you know God is doing amazing things in your church and you get to be a part of it, why would you not wanna share that with somebody else? Why would you not wanna share that with somebody else? And I'm gonna tell you, some of you in this room today, you hear those statistics and you say, Pastor, you don't understand, it's hard to share about my faith. It's hard to, to invite somebody to church. I'm gonna tell you why it's hard, are you ready? It's hard because it's no longer a habit. It's hard because it's no longer a habit. When we stop practicing anything, it becomes more challenging the next time that we do it. And so the reality is, as you see those statistics, and you say, Pastor, those statistics are tragic. Yes, they are, but I've got good news. We are not the tragic church. We are the triumphant church. Which means that we have an opportunity in this season to say, I'm not gonna be the statistic. I'm gonna be the standard, and I'm gonna start sharing again every chance that I get in Jesus' name. If you're ready to be a share, somebody shout amen. Because let me give you good news. Now let me give you a good statistic that I found through these studies that are done. 82% of people that are unchurched say they're likely to attend if they're invited. Isn't that awesome? You would have been like, no, it's way less than that, and that's not what the study found. 
82% of unchurched people said they are likely to attend if they're invited. But how can that happen if only 2% of folks are inviting? 2% are only even saying, hey, I'll save a seat for you, come worship with us. We've got an easy one in September 25th. We're outside at the amphitheater. Invite and bring somebody with you. You have opportunities to share. And I wanna encourage you right now, all of this changes if the people of God start sharing their faith in their homes again. They start sharing with their family. They start sharing with their friends. You start talking about Jesus at the grocery store, at the gym. You start sharing Jesus, the places that you go, sharing about your faith, even inviting somebody to church. It's so easy, but we have to say yes to being sharers of the kingdom of God. We have to be sharers. Look to your neighbor and say, be a sharer. Be a sharer. Now, I'm going to go one more. That statistic about the 82% of unchurched say they'll be likely to attend. Do you know the highest percentage chance of they actually coming through the doors? It's not because the pastor invites them. It's not because of a marketing or a promotional campaign through social media. It's not even an organized visitation done by a church. The highest percentage of people that come through the doors that are unchurched are coming because a friend or a family member personally invited them. Personally invited them. Listen, church, I believe God is calling us to be sharers again in Jesus' name. I believe we have the opportunity right here in our city to continue to make disciples and make a difference and be greater than 20. If we say, okay, I'm done being the statistic. I wanna be the standard because Jesus is the standard and I'm gonna share every chance I get. If you're ready, somebody say amen. So with the challenge of the next four weeks, start to share. Whatever it looks like for you, be a sharer of your faith, be a sharer about your church family, be a sharer of Jesus when you get opportunities, because I'm telling you, it's going to make a difference. And what if, listen to this, what if the one invitation you make is the day that they come here, they come to the Civic Center, they hear the gospel and they give their life to Jesus. So see that your one invitation made a difference not just here, but made a difference in eternity. Let's be sharers in Jesus' name, amen? Amen, okay, right, we're gonna get into the word as we're focused on sharing. Guys, we've been in this series, Developed for Destiny. How many of you guys are thankful that you got destiny in the Lord? and that God's not done with you, he's just getting started. He's got greater levels of destiny for your life and for my life, and he is inviting us to develop for greater things. He's inviting us to spiritually continue to develop and grow in our relationship with God. And we've made something clear throughout this series that I wanna remind us of today is in our last installment. And it is this, church, are you ready? It's this, a life of purpose and destiny requires development. A life of purpose and destiny requires development. And so God is speaking and inviting each of us to say yes to development so we can say yes to the uh, experience, the destiny that God has for us. And we've been in the book of Second Peter the last several weeks looking at these things about how we grow, about how we can develop the faith, develop the, the yes that we made to Jesus. Jesus, when we accepted salvation, accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we're gonna look at this today as we continue to finish. How many of you guys are ready to keep saying yes to development? Are you ready? Come on, let's get in the word together. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter one, we're gonna read these several verses together. Here's what the Bible says. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. 
We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to what? Respond. We have talked about it. We're going to keep talking about it. It's not just enough to receive what God has done. We must respond to God's promises and say, Lord, just like I received them, I'm going to respond and continue to move forward in my relationship with you. He says it. He says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Here it is. Supplement your faith. That means add to your faith. The faith is right there, the foundation. Add to your faith. Supplement your faith with a generous provision. How many of you guys know that doesn't mean just a little, uh, a little sprinkle? Just a, just a little taste of something. No, he says add to it a generous provision. That word generous there in that context means to add more than usual or even necessary. He says add a generous provision, a generous provision of these seven values, these seven characteristics. He says uh, respond to God's promises, supplement your faith with a provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow, like this, the more you develop like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody just ready to just do more for the Lord? I, listen, I find myself every day wanting to do more and be more, not for me, but because I just wanna live a life that honors him. And it's, he says right here, if you will grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. But here is the warning after the encouragement. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. I love this, do these things and you will never fall away then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to the word of the Lord. What a beautiful promise and understanding. And we can see that, that we wanna supplement our faith with those seven things, moral excellence. Uh, we wanna supplement with patient endurance and self-control and brotherly affection and godliness and love. He wants us to, to develop. And the truth is, is this, is if we're going to develop in those ways, how many of you guys know it's not gonna be done accidentally? It's not going to happen uh, randomly. You're not going to back your way into growing in your relationship with Jesus. It doesn't happen automatically. It does not happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. It happens intentionally. We must say yes to the invitation of spiritual development. Again, if you believe that, somebody say amen. So we must say yes to this invitation of spiritual development. Add these things to our faith. Add these things to our faith. Why? So we can continue to develop for the greater levels of destiny that God has for you and me. And so what we've done is we've looked at the first four of these values that we need to be adding to our faith. And today, I want us to look at the last 
three, and I wanna remind you of something. As you add these three things to your faith, you can't stop practicing the other ones. You can't sit it down and say, I'll come back to this one later. No, you gotta be practicing those as you add these. Just like with greater than 20, should you stop sowing now that you're gonna focus on sharing? No, you should keep sowing as you share. They all come together. When everything comes together, that's when there is a fullness of growth and moving forward into what God has for our lives. So we're gonna look at these last three today, and I want you to know uh, they're, they're beautiful and they're challenging and they're things that we must say yes to in Jesus' name. So the, 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 the thing we're gonna look at today and start is godliness. Everybody say godliness. Godliness, what does that mean? It means God-likeness, God-likeness. Here's a simple definition of godliness, are you ready? Godliness is an honor and reverence for the Lord that stirs a desire for your life to look like him. Godliness is an honor and reverence for the Lord that stirs a desire for your life to look like him. I'm gonna go straight to the word because I want you to see God's word commands us to do this, Ephesians 5. Verses one and two, here's what it says. It says, be imitators of God in some things that you do, in everything you do. For then, notice this, for then you will represent your father as his beloved sons and daughters and continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ, for he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. So see what this text is saying. After everything God has done, after everything Jesus did for us and continues to do for us, what an opportunity and privilege to not just love God, but live like him as well. What an opportunity and what a privilege to be able to be godly, to be, have godliness in our lives, in every part of who we are. Look to your neighbor and say, add some godliness. Come on, tell them, say, add some godliness. Add some godliness, add some godliness. Because I wanna tell you something, church. I believe it's time that the people of God stop treating godliness and righteousness and holiness like it's an unrealistic pressure from God to live a specific way. There are times when we hear that we're supposed to be doing these things and applying these things, that we've let a lie from the enemy put this, give us this perspective that God is placing this, this, this unattainable pressure on us. That they say, well, I can't live godly because that's too hard. I could never be holy or righteous. Let me stop you right here. Why would God command you to do it and then not equip you to do it? Why would God say, this is what I want you to do and then not give you the strength to do it? The reality is, is God has already made the way, but you've gotta walk in the way that God has created. You've gotta, you've gotta walk in the understanding. God says, this is how I want you to live your life, but because I already love you. Remember what 2 Peter says? He says, I've given you everything you need to be godly. So don't let the enemy come in and say, well, this is an unrealistic pressure that, that, that God has put on me to try to be godly or righteous and holy. Listen, it's time we start seeing and living with godliness and righteousness, holiness as a privilege before the Lord. That we don't see these things as pressure, but what a privilege to be godly. What a privilege to live holy. What a, what a beautiful honor to be righteous and look like God in every part of our lives. If you believe that, somebody say amen. 
But I wanna go deeper for a minute because we need to see this. Because some people say, Pastor, that's not a problem. Well, here's the reality. It has become a problem for a lot of people. Because in 2 Timothy, we find something in 2 Timothy chapter three where the apostle Paul is describing the culture and the state of our world in the last days. And he goes through all these examples right there in 2 Timothy three of ways that people have deliberately turned from God. And he ends with verse five where it says, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. They will reject the power that can make them godly. A form, but they deny the power. Another version says it's people that pretend to respect God. People that pretend to respect God. I believe that's talking about people, listen, that look and see the standards and ways of God's as a burden instead of a blessing. It's people when they see that God wants them to be godly or holy, their perspective is bent into thinking that it's a burden to live that way. It's not a blessing to live that way. Listen, if you find yourself in that perspective where you're bent towards thinking, Lord, this is too hard, I'm gonna tell you, all you're gonna do is end up bitter and poisoned. You're gonna end up bitter and poisoned if you believe that God has put something on you that's not realistic. But the reality is this, is if you'll look and see that godliness is a beautiful thing, you haven't been burdened with a call to live godly, you've been blessed with the power to be godly in every part of who you are. So let me say it this way, godliness is not a regulation, it is a reward. It is a reward. I'll go a step further. If you feel like you are burdened by the commands that God has put on your life, honey, that sounds like religion. Because if it's a true relationship, you find that responsibilities are the rewards of walking in the kingdom of God, of saying yes to being holy and set apart, living how God has called you to live. I don't wanna be the statistic. I wanna be the standard that reflects God in every part of who I am. If that's you, I want you to give the Lord praise in the house that we have the privilege and the honor and the opportunity to be godly. Because I'm gonna tell you, you will not fulfill a God-given destiny if you refuse godliness. You will not fulfill a God-given destiny if you refuse godliness. But here's what's amazing. Not only does godliness bless the Lord, did you know it also blesses us? Let me show you, it blesses us. See, 1 Timothy chapter four, verses eight and nine, here's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and some people should accept it. Everyone should accept it. I said it last week and the week before, stop acting like God's word does not apply to you. If you've got breath, these are your commands. If you've got breath, this is your playbook. This is your roadmap. He said everyone should accept it. Everyone should accept it. Notice what he says. He says it's much better. There's blessings not in just this life, but in the life to come. Do you guys remember in Hebrews eleven six where it says God is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him? Did you know God likes to reward his people? 
Listen, he likes to give us eternal and earthly rewards. He rewards us for when we obey him. He rewards us when we say yes to his standards, to his principles, and his ways. So I need you to see something. It doesn't just bless God when we're godly, it blesses us. If you wanna continue to see God do things that you could not do for yourself, keep saying yes to things like godliness and watch how God rewards you, not just in heaven, but he'll reward you right here. It's beautiful to see. The last thing I wanna tell you about godliness before we go further is I just wanna give you the same encouragement and the charge that Paul gave to his spiritual son, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12, he said, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so you run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Hey, man of God, hey, woman of God, get away from the evil things the enemy seems trying to trip, trip you up with, and ensnare you with, keep pursuing godliness and a godly life, keep saying yes to faith, fighting, hold on to the good things that God is doing in your life, do not back down, do not quit, and you will walk in the fullness of what God has for your life. Keep going, somebody say keep going. Let's keep going in Jesus' name. Keep going in Jesus' name. Let's add godliness to our faith, listen. We must add godliness to our faith to keep developing for the destiny God has for our lives in Jesus' name. We must add godliness. If you believe us, say amen. All right, the last two values, brotherly affection and kindness and love, I'm gonna combine together because really they're intertwined in their understanding and their practical application. And for those of you who wanted those to be separate, you're gonna have to practice self-control and patient endurance because it's my sermon and I'm doing it this way. <laughs> but I want you to see these two, these last two. Listen, even though they're last, they are not least. They're very, very important to us saying yes to being developed for the more that God has for our lives, church. Now see these things right here, these last two. Faith, add to our faith brotherly kindness and love. What are these two things centered on? They're centered on two things. They're centered on loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others. Everybody say loving God and loving others. Let me talk about brotherly kindness just for a sec. Brotherly kindness is a value that appears throughout the Bible. The Greek word found to describe the New Testament is the word Philadelphia, which literally translates into loving one's brother. Loving one's brother. And then you have the value of love. What is love here? Love defines our relationship with God but it also dictates how we treat other people. Defines our relationship with God and dictates how we treat others. The Bible says very clearly, we are supposed to add these things to our faith. Add them to our faith. See, I believe that faith is a currency in the kingdom of God. It's a currency in the kingdom of God, but can I tell you why I believe faith is a currency? I believe love is the standard of the kingdom of God. Love is the standard of the kingdom of God. See, the apostle Paul said this to the believers in Philippi. Philippians 1 verse 10, he said, guys, I want you to understand what really matters. I want you to understand what really matters. And church, listen to me, our love matters. 
Our love matters. Our love for God and our love for others, they matter. Why? Our love matters because it is not just our foundation, but it is the standard. Somebody say standard. It is the standard of how we should live our lives. It is the standard of how we should live our lives. Let me start here, because I got some Bible. I got some Bible that's going to bring clarity and it's gonna challenge you. We'll start right here. When Jesus was asked what was the most important commandment, in Mark chapter 12, this was his response. Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Kinda sounds like all of us. Every bit of us. Love God with everything. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Then he said the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So can I tell you, we should have that kind of love for the Lord. Love him with everything. And listen, we don't just have some love for the Lord, but we love him first and we love him most. Let me say that again. You need to love the Lord first and love him the most. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my family, but I love the Lord more. More. I'm gonna say something and I need you to just hear it and soak, let's just soak it in for a minute. No one has ever loved you the way the Father has loved you. No one has ever loved you the way the Father has loved you. No one's ever done for you what the Father has done for you. He loves you. He calls you son and daughter. He calls you blessed and highly favored. The Bible says he took you from rejected to accepted. From nothing to greatness. Think about it for a minute. He took dust and gave us destiny. No one has ever loved you like the Father has loved you. And he loves us so much. And so, so when we see that, what should our response be? Well, hey God, you've made the top 10. No. God, I love you with everything. All my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and my strength. God, I love you. Will you take a minute right now and lift your hands and just thank God for his love for you? Come on. Will you just right now just say, Lord, thank you for your unconditional love. God, your unconditional love. And then I want you to, if you really mean it, I want you to tell him you love him too. Come on, after you tell him you love him, just say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. See, the Bible reminds us and tells us this. He says he loves us unconditionally. He loves us unconditionally. In fact, 1 John 4, 8 says God does not have love. It says God is love. God is love. God loves us with everything that he has. And listen, he doesn't just love you with words, he loves you with action. You ever, has somebody ever told you they loved you, they didn't do nothing? My southern roots are coming out for a minute. That don't mean nothing. <laughs> if they tell you they love you, but they never show you they love you, honey, they don't love you. 
If a boy shows up to marry my daughter and he tells me he loves her, but he hadn't put a ring on her finger and he's not ready to work for her, I'm gonna kick his rear end out the house. And I'm big enough to do it. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Love is not just a word. It's an action. It's an action. If you love somebody, there will be actions behind your words. Why, why, we know this to be true of God because John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. He gave Jesus. Listen to me. Please, please never feel like God has put something on you that he doesn't understand. He gave his son, his one and only son, and he gave him because he loved you. Because he loved you. So when God says, I want you to love, love me with everything, is he being unrealistic? No, that's the least we could do. The least, if you believe that, say amen. That's the least we could do is love God that much. See, 1 John 4, 19 says we can love and we love others because God first loved us. Because here's what's beautiful about the love of God. It's twofold. The love of God is compelling but also propelling. It's compelling, but it's also propelling. Compelling meaning this, the love of God, it gets our attention in an overwhelming way. God's love is irresistible. Man, when somebody really experiences the love of God, they can't help but get to God because it messes with you, it changes you, it does something to you that nothing else has ever done. The love of God is compelling, but while it's also compelling, the love of God is also propelling. Let me show you what I mean when I say that. Just like it's irresistible, it draws us, it's also propelling the love of God. It moves us in a particular direction, usually forwards or advancing. Why? Because God's love will compel us to him, but it will propel us to others. It will compel us to him, but it will propel us to others. That's why Jesus said in Mark 12, the second command is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is where it always gets quiet when I preach on love and I preach on not just loving the Lord, but loving other people. I'm gonna tell you something right now. Do you know why the people of God have stopped sharing? Because we don't love people. We don't share anymore because we don't really love people anymore. I'll go ahead and make this statement too while I'm here, while, I, while the water's already chilly, I'll go ahead and jump in. We gotta stop taking the prerequisites off of people to love them. We said if you meet this standard, if you act this way, if you talk this way, if you look like this, if you act like this, if you make this much money, hey, guess what, I'll love you. Uh, thank God, God does not put a reciprocity on our love. God says I love you whether you love me or not. And we've gotta take pre, we've gotta stop putting prerequisites on people and saying, well, I can only love you if you vote like me. Oh, we're going here for a minute now. I got my photos on, we're getting in. You can only, listen, listen, that means you can love people whether they got vaccinated or not. That means you can love people if they even wear their mask in their car. You can love them. I didn't say you had to agree with everything, but you can love them even though you don't agree with everything. 
I'm going to show you a text in a minute that proves it, but listen to me. We've just got to start loving people again. We've got to love people the way that God loves people. I, with all of my heart, I firmly believe that the people of God need a revelation of heaven's perspective on people. We need a revelation of heaven's perspective on people. Because I will tell you right now, there is nothing more valuable to God than people. There is nothing more valuable to God than people. But let me show you the word for just a few minutes. We'll start right here, where Jesus said this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He said, so I'm giving you a new suggestion commandment. I'm giving you a new commandment, meaning it's not up for debate, ladies and gentlemen. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Love one another like I have loved you. Your love will prove. Listen to me. Your love will prove, not your church attendance, your love will prove that you love one another. We should come to church, we should tithe, we should serve, we should give of ourselves, but none of those things in that text says it proves to the world that we're his. He says you prove it by how you love one another. We've got to love each other. Look to your neighbor and practice. Tell somebody you love them, please. I love you. Because I got more Bible. I'm not done. John 15, 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. John 15, 17. This is my command. Love each other. I wonder why Jesus had to say it so many times. It's not because he forgot what he said but because he knew we'd get stubborn about it. Anybody else stubborn? Anybody else know that stubborn is not a spiritual gift? Anybody, anybody, anybody. Some of you are like, man, if that was a spiritual gift, I'd be off the charts, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Love each other. Take the prerequisites off. Take the labels off. Take the lens that keep you from only seeing certain people. See everybody and love them. But pastor, what if they don't love God? Then they need that love even more. They need it even more. I'll ask another sobering question before I get in this next text. Who gave you the right to only love certain people? Who gave you the authority to only love certain people? Because he said, love everybody. Love everybody. How many of you guys know we need to love everybody? Let me go one more. I got one more scripture and then we're going to pray together. Romans. I love the book of Romans, it's so good. Romans chapter 12, verse nine. This is, this is right here. Don't just pretend to love 
others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Look, right there you see it. Why the people of God have stopped sharing about their faith and sharing about Jesus and sharing about their church? Because we're guilty of just pretending to love other people. See, you don't know, I grew up in the South. We love everybody down South. We pray for everybody, we bless everybody's heart, we don't mean it ever. If you go down South and people are like, honey, bless your heart, I'm gonna pray for you, they ain't not gonna pray for you. They pretend to love everybody. The church, for too long, has pretended to love other people. If you love other people, you will gladly share every chance you get. If you love other people, you will gladly find ways to be a light of encouragement and hope because you love them the way God loves you. But notice what he said. Listen, he said, don't just pretend to love others. Don't just pretend. And then he goes further, really love them. Now notice what he said. He said, hate what is wrong. Some people are starting to read that text and say, hate who is wrong. I think that's one of the biggest lies the enemy has convinced our culture of in this season. That if we hate what is wrong by default, then we also hate who is wrong. And that's not true. That's incorrect. You can absolutely hate what's wrong and still love the person who is wrong. Pastor, no, I can't. Yes, you can. Because there was a time when you did wrong and Jesus still found a way to love you. And it says love him, the, or love people the way he has loved you. So listen to me, you can absolutely hate what is wrong and still love the person doing wrong. Let me tell you something, we hate wrong, we should hate wrong because of how wrong wounds people. If you live in deception long enough, it will cause you to bleed in a lot of places in your life. If you love destruction, if you love the things of the world, eventually it will wound you and you will bleed in a way that only Jesus can stop it. But notice something, don't hate who is wrong, hate what is wrong. Keep loving no matter what they do, love them for who they are supposed to be in Jesus. And then he says this, hold on tightly to what is good. See, there's another deception on this one to say, well, if you love me, you have to accept me whether I'm wrong or not. Also not true. I can love you, but disagree with you. Come on, somebody. The people of God need to be reminded of this, by the way, especially on social media. Oh, I'm there too, yeah. I'm friends with most of you, so remember that. You can hold on to what is right and good and still hate what is wrong. Don't you believe for one second that loving someone is accepting the wrong parts of that person. That you're, that you're agreeing with it. We, we don't do that. Does, that. does that make sense to everybody? 
well, pastor, that, the, the world says inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. Listen, everybody's invited into the kingdom of God, but we're not going to include everything in the kingdom of God. Everybody's invited, but not everything is included. And so we're going to love everyone, but we're gonna hold on to what is right, no matter what. We're gonna hold on to what is good, no matter what. What if that person says, I don't love them, then they don't understand love. Because we can love who and still not agree with the what. If you believe that, somebody say amen. amen. We must add brotherly affection and love to our faith. If we don't, you will not walk in the fullness of what God has for you. Can I ask this question and then we're gonna pray. What if your lack of love for people is what holds you back from the more that God has for you? What if your lack of brotherly affection and love is what keeps stopping you from going to another level of destiny that God has for your life? Don't do it. That's the enemy baiting you into it. Say yes to adding brotherly kindness and love to your faith in Jesus' name. Amen.